0: Support for MindShift comes from Landmark College. Its annual Summer Institute for Educators takes place June 25th through 27th. Registration is now open at
1: landmark.edu slash lcsi. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just
2: from KQED
3: Sally do you remember how you learned about puberty
0: it was very brief (laughs) I remember that my mother um, came into my bedroom with a book I remember the title being startling like let's talk about our bodies or I don't remember what the title was and I think she left me with a book and said if you have any more questions you can ask me well who's going to ever ask another question I mean, I didn't ask any more questions.
3: That's Sally, a Seattle mother of two daughters, describing how she learned about puberty when she was an adolescent back in the 1970s. I'm Ki Sung, and you're listening to Stories Teachers Share, the program from MindShift and KQED about what it's like to be a teacher and what we can learn from them. Sally grew up as the eldest child in a Catholic family. The way she learned about puberty in her household, you just heard it. But when Sally became a mom, she wanted her two daughters to have a different experience. She did her homework and signed up her older daughter for a popular sex ed class called Great Conversations.
0: Even though I was trying to be the up-to-date, open-minded mom, and I read all these books about how you're supposed to be doing that kind of stuff, and I practiced on my older daughter and thought I kind of had a handle on it, but I still was pretty awkward about it.
3: When the time came for Sally to enroll her younger daughter, Elaine,
0: she met some resistance. She's a very calm, easygoing child, but when I tried to bring this up, she literally covered her ears with her hands and did run out of her room and said, no, 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 I don't want to talk about this stuff. And I was so startled, I was like, what? (laughs) At any rate, we, we did go to this class and Julie started things off with great funny jokes and One thing I remember was how she stuck sanitary pads all over the front of herself and it made everybody laugh. Julie is Julie Metzger, who's also known as the puberty
3: lady. She's a pediatric nurse whose way of getting adolescents and adults to talk about puberty has been getting attention. It's made her a celebrity in Seattle. She co-founded Great Conversations 27 years ago. Her course lasts four hours. It's spread out over two days, and classes are separated by gender. Julie teaches the women and girls class, and her partner, who you'll hear from next week, teaches the boys and men's class. Each child must attend with an adult. She teaches sex ed around the country, including in California, where I met her in Palo Alto the day after one of her sessions. Julie was telling me about a question she gets all the time and how she answered it for one little girl.
4: This tiny little 10-year-old, she was so tiny and small. She probably won't experience puberty for another four years. She was seriously tiny. And she walked up with a very worried face, and she said, does sexual intercourse hurt? And now I had answered that question, but she wanted one-on-one to be relieved of that fear. I had already said in class that I had had sexual intercourse with my husband maybe a 1,000 times. And so I said to her, you heard me say that I had had sexual intercourse a thousand times. I would never choose something a thousand times unless it was a way to show and share my love that I felt comfortable in. And her physical relief was enormous. She had this huge smile, and I said, you know, it's possible... Right? And I had already described this, but we sort of reviewed it. It's possible that someone's hair would get pulled or someone would be rough in the same way that when we're wrestling together and playing or t- even tickling each other, it all of a sudden goes awry. And I said, but that's what, what caring people take care of each other in a situation like that and listen and care for each other in that through the touch of tickling even. And I think she just needed to hear that, that it was... Again, right? Because I'd already literally just said that in class, but she wanted to hear it again. Could you tell me again that I will be okay? It's a really easy thing as an adult to hear a question from a child and put the adult perspective in on it, right? In other words, when someone says, does sex hurt, you maybe out of our own adult head, we would want to jump in on rape. Or a scary part about sex. But really, what I think we have to just put ourselves in the head of this 10 year old little girl and think she wants to hear will I be okay? Will I be taken care of? Will I be honored? Will I be respected? And she deserves to hear that part of the story. And in fact, that's the story we want to walk forward in.
3: That's Julie's advice to caregivers. Make the conversation match the developmental space of the child. Think about the perspective of a 10-year-old and how different that would be from a 17-year-old, and tailor your message according to what's appropriate. Sex education is traditionally for kids, but what's different about Julie's class is that the girls are there with their moms, aunts, or another adult who's participating right alongside them. From the beginning, Julie knew she was skilled at talking about puberty with young people. But about a decade into teaching, she had a revelation.
4: In my own mind, I think I went into this work absolutely focused on the 10 to 12-year-old. And that is at the heart what this work is about. But about 10 years into the work, I sat there and had this aha that it was just as important, if not perhaps more transforming to the parents sitting there that I was role modeling through my words that are still geared towards these girls.
3: Role modeling. Remember how Julie answered that little girl's question, does sexual intercourse hurt? While it was important for the 10 year old to hear the answer, it was also critical that adults learn how to provide an answer. Asking a question can make both parties vulnerable. If the child takes the first step asking a question, the answer an adult provides should respect that child's initiative. If that adult isn't welcoming of the child's questions, that could cut off a channel of communication. Julie says answering questions, or even trying to answer questions, is essential to the relationship and reinforces the parent as authority in the family. But adults often harbor
4: a lot of awkwardness
3: around the subject of puberty.
4: The girls sit there and and just absorb it like, of course that story It's the parents, though, that said, I had no idea the story could look like that. And that, that transition, I remember the moment I was standing there and just realized that it seems so obvious to think that now, but I just, it was like this wave of understanding. And the way I've described this class, because you have two generations, to me, the magic of Sesame Street is that it is clever and engaging for both adult and child that when adult and child are sitting there watching Sesame Street and watching Count Dracula the adult sees the cleverness of that the Count Dracula how funny and interesting that you would have that voice and that costume and and make that Count Dracula character counting The four-year-old is listening and watching you laugh and be engaged and excited about that content. And yet the nuance of what they're taking away is actually separate and yet the same. We're telling a story to two generations that has enough for the adult that sits there and at the same time something powerful for the child. And I think that's what we do really well is that we make it as fun for the grown-up as we do for the preteen that is sitting there, and that, that, that's just part of the magic of being in that room. And I don't really think I appreciated or understood that until that moment where I just went, oh my gosh, these parents are seeing that you could think about this so differently than the way they thought they had to talk about these topics. How did you learn about
3: sex and puberty?
4: Well, I'm a nurse and uh, I came from a family of healthcare providers. My father is a urologist, and so the idea of penises, vasectomies, um, gender were kind of standard conversations. My mother is a nurse, my sister is a nurse, and my brother in law is a family medicine person. My niece is a nurse. Um, And my son is in medical school. So this idea of health and bodies and the continuum of sexuality has been sort of a woven in part of who I am. As a pediatric nurse, I bring two gifts to this work. One is a real passion and respect for these families of this age group. And the second is a gift of teaching and then a powerful calling to help people make this story one of relevance for their family.
3: Not all families can be so comfortable talking about sexual health. Julie knows how awkward it's been for others. But by setting an example for the way families can talk about sex and puberty, she's hoping they can be more informed and more comfortable.
4: If you think about most of the ways those adults heard about sex, it was in a private joke on the playground, or a moment in a classroom of unbearable torture with the gym teacher, or a conversation with a parent that you hoped would end soon, or in a magazine, or a book, or a movie, or whatever that is that felt like it had to be secret, or private, or filled with sort of a taboo Right. And now we've like blown that open. You're sitting there in Seattle, our auditorium, we fill with 130 people. And now you're laughing and almost delighting in the shared
2: experience of this topic.
3: As rewarding as the class might be, families still have to take the first step of getting there.
2: My mom will tell you I literally would run screaming when she or my sister <laughs> tried to talk to me about any of that stuff. I just thought it was gross and weird, and I just was not comfortable talking about it.
3: That's Elaine. She's now a high school senior. After the break, we'll hear more from Elaine about how taking Julie's class seven years ago changed the course of her life. Welcome back to Stories Teachers Share from Mind Shift and KQED. Before the break, we were just beginning to hear from Elaine, that's Sally's younger daughter, who's now a high school senior. Elaine was describing that excruciating feeling of being 10 and having your mom and your sister want to talk to you about puberty. Elaine uses words like gross and weird.
2: My mom definitely tried to, but I just would, yeah, just I was not wanting to talk about it. So then going to the class, that was obviously really nerve-wracking for me. It made me so nervous, and I was, like, so embarrassed about doing it. But um, once I was there, I think I was just kind of, like, shocked at how open and easy it was for Julie to talk about puberty. And she just made it so, like, fun, and, like, it just made it more exciting and just easy to talk about. And she told stories and made it funny. Elaine told me that
3: Julie's class really made an impression. It opened up a new purpose for her.
2: It just kind of clicked in my brain because what's cool now is that I'm on Planned Parenthood's teen council where I literally teach sex ed in high schools and middle schools. And so it kind of like made me realize like, oh, this is where it began. This is where my journey of being open and honest and sex positive kind of started. And so seeing her was kind of like that aha moment where I was like, oh, Like, this is the woman who really kind of changed how I looked at puberty and sex and sexual health.
3: Here's how Elaine begins each class.
2: Well, we first start by introducing ourselves, and um, it really depends on the lesson, but each time we share kind of a backstory of why we're on teen council and why we do what we do. My story, actually, I recently decided to include um, going to Julie's puberty class in my opening story to the class. And sharing with them how it's okay. I was really awkward too at one point and I just really want to be that a person who can do what Julie did for me and kind of change my outlook and make it something that's okay to talk about. I'm not shy about telling people that I'm on teen council and that I have a lot of knowledge about sexual health and I've definitely helped my peers out. And, you know, I hand out condoms at school. People come up to me like, Elaine, like, can you bring me some condoms tomorrow? And I'm like, sure. So I bring a huge box of condoms and people just take them. And I definitely can answer questions or if I don't know the answer, I know where to direct people. And I've gone with my friends to Planned Parenthood when they need something. And um, so I hope that my most of my peers kind of see me in that light because I definitely have tried to make myself really available because that's. Part of my job being on Teen Council, I mean, it's my job being on Teen Council, but it's also something that I really believe is important. Um, You know, it's one thing if your mom says, oh, like, if you need a condom, I can get it for you. It's another if your peer is like, here's a condom.
3: Elaine is normalizing sexuality by being a resource for her peers and answering their questions. She's trying to make knowledge about sex and health resources accessible, breaking down the awkwardness people can feel about seeking out that information. Sound familiar? But that openness can still make people uncomfortable.
2: Among my peers, I think it's challenging because there's a lot of, you know, like slut-shaming and just kind of this idea that sex is kind of like a bad thing. And um, it's not really explicitly said, like, oh, sex is bad, but that's kind of just the connotation sometimes among my peers. And I think it's kind of shocking when I talk about sex so openly with my peers and it kind of is like, what, like, what is she talking about? But I think it's like, I think I've seen kind of like a trickle wave effect of how me being open has kind of made them see sex is not this dirty, awful thing. And um, with adults, I don't, I think with my mom, she's very open and obviously she grew up in a totally different time. And so I think sometimes it's, hard I don't know you can talk about this too but I think it's sometimes hard because she did grow up with such a different attitude towards sex but she's definitely changed and I think seen sex in a whole new light in sexual health she has
0: taught me so much about that I'm a, grew up as a firstborn Catholic and so I'm this was so uncomfortable for me to I didn't want to in my view you know promoting promiscuity so that's the old-fashioned phrasing and view of things and that's not at all what Elaine or these teen council members are talking about but over time I got more comfortable with that idea and not too long ago I heard someone who um, I think she's a mental health counselor and works with a lot of women and she said so many adult women have in their adult lifetime Big issues to work around and about related to young sexual encounters or slut shaming when they were kids or whatever. That there's a lot of baggage that goes with adulthood for a lot of women. And I thought, oh, that is this is really interesting what these young people are bringing to our focus about that. That it has such a long weight of a ball and chain, and this new freedom to talk about it in a better, healthier ways. I'm pretty excited about it. I was slow to the party a little bit, wasn't <laughs> I, Elaine, maybe? It just took me some time to adapt to what it all meant. I had to really understand the phrases and what did it mean, all that. Julie
3: Metzger's class was just the beginning of this journey for Elaine and Sally. The class is designed to spark those conversations about growing up. As I was learning more about Julie's class, I kept hearing about this magical moment that happens immediately after class, the drive home girls and their moms or aunts or caregivers have a quiet moment to talk afterwards. Think of it like a road trip where you can talk openly in a confined space without having to look into each other's eyes. At the end of class, Julie often suggests a conversation topic for the journey home. Like, what was it like when you had your first period? Here's how Elaine and Sally remember that driving home moment from seven years ago.
0: Oh, I remember it being terrific. I remember Elaine wasn't screaming and wasn't covering (laughs) her ears. I said, well, what do you think? I don't remember the details of it.
2: I don't either. And I don't remember the exact conversation we had, but I definitely remember feeling kind of relieved after the class. And, like, just all the nerves that I'd had going to the class were just totally gone. And I felt so much better and definitely more willing to talk.
0: I just remember... I had particularly selected a location that was the furthest from our house of all the locations to choose because I thought that would give us a longer time to talk in the car. And I just remember it being a really lovely time. And I was really happy that we had this open time to talk about things.
3: Many of us probably had that same experience as Sally when it came to learning about puberty. We got a book and not much else, which may have made perfect sense to our parents. But now we're trying to adapt to this moment by being informed and re-examining how we were raised, we're determined to better prepare our kids for the world. I first read about Julie Metzger in the New York Times as part of my search for ways to be a better informed parent. Julie says in her 27 years as an educator, her way of teaching sex ed hasn't changed much. She's seen more questions about technology and sexual orientation in recent years, but the questions she gets from kids generally fall into these same categories. How should I feel? How do I fit in? What else do I need to know? Am I normal? It may seem like there's a lot to keep track of. So for those who can't remember how to answer every question, she says the most important thing kids need from parents is the conversation itself.
4: The tsunami of the culture is a bombardment of messages that surrounds our kids. And we, the grown-ups, literally have the work and the privilege of the work of reminding our children about their bodies, their health, their well-being, their responsibilities around each other and caring for each other and to honor that experience of who they are growing up and to remind them how valuable and interesting and whole they are as people because I think the tsunami of the culture sometimes breaks that down and doesn't allow kids to see themselves as valuable, interesting, healthy people that have a role to play, even as a 10-year-old, in the well-being of the world and within the family. These kids are looking for the reminder of what they know to be true about themselves. And when you give them that message, They literally the power of the tsunami becomes completely eradicated, I think. It goes away because they see themselves over and over and over again in your eyes as something unique and valuable. Showing your children how to love and care for the other people in your life is the best sex talk you can give. I don't care if people ever say the word penis and vagina out loud. If you're showing respect and love to your spouse, to your parent, to your neighbor, to your sister, if you're healing relationships around you, that's the best sex talk you can do. Today's
3: program was produced by me, Ki Sung, and Katrina Schwartz. Our editor is Jacob Conrad. Our team includes Seth Samuel, Bryce Eberhardt, Cecilia Lay, Anna Karina Quiros Correa, and Carlos Gonzalez. Special thanks to Julie Metzger and the Lucille Packard Children's Hospital in Palo Alto, one of the many locations where she teaches. Thanks also to Sally and Elaine. We also want to share our appreciation for all the teachers who help us feel less awkward. Do you have a story about being a teacher you would like to share? There are two ways you can share them with us. You can email us at mindshiftstories at kqed.org or you can record yourself. Open up your voice memo or audio recording app on your smartphone and send that file to us at mindshiftstories at kqed.org. We'd love to share your stories about teaching in an upcoming episode. If you have a deeper interest in education and learning, Check out our blog on Facebook and Twitter at MindShift KQED. Thanks for listening to stories teachers like Julie Metzger share with us. Oh, the questions you get when you teach sex, Ed.
0: How many zits on average does a boy get? Is it normal to smell for a couple months and then have the smell go away? How many times do you
3: usually have to have sex before a baby comes? Do you like toast? Answering questions from adolescent boys next time on Stories Teachers Share, the podcast from MindShift and KQED.
0: All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have
3: gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation.
0: And it's happening
3: because of a podcast.
1: I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet.
3: Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong.
1: New episodes of Sold a Story are available now. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're
4: hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member